Today's episode of The Rebuild is brought to you by WGN America. Wednesday at 10, 9 central, get ready for your newest TV addiction. The new series, Pure, premiering on WGN America. Pure is based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. You heard right, Mennonites. Most are kind people, but one group was part of the world's most dangerous drug cartel. Show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the mob and drugs, but he's in way over his head. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. Get hooked on Pure. The series premiere is Wednesday at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV channel 307, Dish channel 239, or check your local cable listings. Welcome in, everybody, to a brand new episode of The Rebuild uh, here on Blue Wire. I am your host, Jordan Zerm. As always, I am on Twitter, at Cleve Zerm. As a reminder, you can navigate over to iTunes or to Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You can subscribe to The Rebuild. You can give it five stars. You can give it seven stars if you wanted. I don't know if that's allowed, but you should. You should try it. You should try to give it seven stars. Um, And uh, be sure to check out all the rest of the Blue Wire podcast network as we are growing by the day, covering more and more teams in more and more areas of the United States. So a lot of good stuff going on uh, over at Blue Wire, so be sure to check us out. I'm really excited today because last week I recorded a full podcast with my guest today. I lost it because I um, apparently just don't know how to use technology or the internet or anything like that, but I recorded a conversation with him today, and it saved, so that's a big deal, because now I have Charles McDonald, uh, senior NFL news desk writer for SB Nation, on with me today, and we talk about a lot of different stuff. Charles is a known Atlanta Falcons fan. He knows the heartbreak of football as well as any Cleveland Browns fan, and he has actually become an honorary Browns fan, so I welcome into our family with open arms. We touch on a little bit of the AFC and NFC championship games from over the weekend before transitioning into a little bit of talk about the Browns, about Baker Mayfield, Freddie Kitchen's offense, Steve Wilkes, and what he can do for the team on defense. We hit a little bit on on the draft and what maybe the Browns can add to turn their offense as explosive as possible. And I also uh, wanted to get his opinion on how he feels about just Baker Mayfield continuing to roast people on Twitter for Fox, uh, doing some pregame stuff. And if he is into the roasting, I think you'll enjoy his answer. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Charles McDonald, who, as I will say, you can follow on Twitter at 4Verts. He's a really good follow, so make sure you hop on and check him out. All right, without further ado, it is the newest episode of The Rebuild with Charles McDonald. All right, uh, this is take number two with uh, my guy Charles McDonald, who is the uh, NFL... What what exactly is your... T- I, always, I always mess up your title, Charles. What is your title at SB Nation? Uh, it's a mouthful. It's a senior NFL news desk writer, so you know, just blogging my heart out throughout the season. <laughs> I like. I think your title should actually be just blogging my heart out at SB Nation. I think that's a, a way better title for you. <laughs> um, you probably know Charles on Twitter at Four Verts, and if you don't, you should follow him. He is a uh, wonderful follow. Actually, Charles, I had a funny story because <clears throat> years ago, um, my buddy and I, who I uh, a good friend of mine. 
we started, we were like, let's just do like a Cleveland sports podcast, like in our, our free time, this will be fun. And we were like, what should we call it? And we're like, uh, I don't know. And we eventually settled on the name <laughs> Setting the Edge because we thought it was a we thought it was a really funny name. And I was like, I found this clip of some random Browns player like in an interview talking about how he needed to set the edge. So we played that before. And then I uh, eventually came to the uh, realization that you already had a much more better and popular podcast called Set the Edge. So we scrapped the name and we changed it to something. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've told you that before, but that always <laughs> that always makes me laugh. No, that's funny. I mean, shit with with the frequency that we're posting, setting the edge. You might, you might, might as well just take it from yeah. us. <laughs> we, I will acquire the rights to the name "Set the Edge." It is mine now. Um, but uh, yeah, that sort of. I, I think I remember when I first started following you, and then you're like, "Yeah, here's a new episode of Set the Edge." I was like, "Well, uh, I guess I'll have to." I forget what we changed the name of ours to, but uh, "Set the Edge" was no longer it. Um, Charles, there were some games that happened over the weekend, and I know you as a as a known Atlanta Falcons fan, despite the way the Saints maybe ended up losing that game, are you thrilled that there will not be any Saints fans wandering around um, Atlanta in, in a couple weeks? Oh, God. It was like just the greatest thing ever happened. <laughs> and not even, not even just the fact that it happened, because, I mean, I was full on – Rams fan on Sunday just I mean just out of hatred for that team not just that it did happen but how it happened like them just getting screwed on such a horrible call at the end of the fourth quarter uh and like I don't know how many times the Browns have played in the Superdome but they get so many calls like ask any Panthers fan any Bucks fan any Falcons fan ask Vikings fans too they get so many calls in that dome. Like, I don't know if referees are just afraid to flag them. And even during that game, they missed two huge face mask penalties on the Saints that should have given the, given the Rams like 30 yards worth of penalties just off those two plays alone. So for them to just get absolutely screwed by one of the worst missed defensive pass interference calls that could have been like, not only was should have been defensive pass interference, you could make the case that Nickel Ruby Coleman should have been ejected from the game yeah, based on for that hit. Sure. Like, just straight up, I don't know if you've seen the angle where somebody in the crowd from the upper decks was filming the play. Yes. But he starts, like, in the middle of the field and sprints all the way over, knocks him out head-to-head, like, pretty much just knocks him out of the field of play with a helmet-to-helmet hit, and nothing happened. And just to see them freak out and Sean Payton turn red in the face, like, it couldn't happen to a better franchise. I'll just leave it at that. I mean, <laughs> I I was so happy that that play didn't get called. And then they end up losing in – well, first of all, they get the ball first. Then Dante Fowler, of all people, knocks the ball out of Drew's, Drew Brees' hands, goes flying up, they get the interception, and then they lose on the last kick of the game. Like, the football gods could not have blessed me any more than they did on Sunday. They gave you they gave you a gift. They said, Charles, you know what? We've done you wrong a lot of times in the past, so here, this is for you. You know what's crazy is that like that was one of those very rare instances where you're watching the game and I remember the camera like on that pass, like it kinda went away from the play, like right after it happened on that defensive what should have been the defensive pass interference. So the camera kind of showed it for a second and was gone. But it was one of the rare times where I was like, Oh my god, that that dude got crushed. That's absolutely pass interference and then no flag came out. I mean, it was like the most blatant of blatants and then you saw all the other angles and when I rewatch it, it is still 
so insane to me that that ref standing right along the sideline looking directly at the play was just like, mm, nope, we're good, let's move on. Like, I just cannot, I cannot get over that play and how the ref somehow kept that flag in his pocket. It is just crazy to me. Yep, and then one final thing. Just the best part, or two, two things. One, the so apparently the, the referee, the black guy who was standing right there, apparently he's from California, so now people are accusing him of being a ref fan. But I mean, come on, like any ref on the field could have thrown a flag. You're like, come on, I don't, I don't want to place on this one guy because, right? <laughs> because like literally any ref that saw what was going on could have thrown a flag there. Uh, and two, Michael Thomas, the receiver for the Saints, a star receiver who some say is the best receiver in the game, who got held to 36 passing yards in the NFC Championship game. But we'll leave that for another day. He <laughs> tweeted out, he tweeted out like some rule in the NFL rulebook where. Paul is just truly unfair or just blatantly wrong that they will replay the game. He took that at Roger Goodell. It's just oh my chef God. kiss. Oh Shut boy, up. yeah, that's uh, uh, that's not a that's not a great Twitter look there, Michael. Maybe uh, reel that one back in. Um, and, th- and then the other thing too is, you know, Charles, uh, the other team uh, who I was very much pulling for, um, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, go down in a hell of a game to the New England Patriots. Now you. Um, you have a very special connection to the Chiefs because of your encounter with their head coach who gave you his mac and cheese recipe, uh, which is maybe one of my favorite stories that has ever been told um, on Twitter. Were you dismayed because of your deep um, culinary connection to Andy Reid uh, that the Chiefs went down uh, to the New England Patriots? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, just like that Chiefs team was a lot of fun to watch, and obviously, like I, I met Andy Reid, and we actually texted a few times, like leading up to last season. He, like he's he's a really nice guy. Uh, like everything that people say about him is one hundred percent true. Just a great person. Then to see them lose, like in the fashion that they did, to just like the luckiest franchise of all time. I mean, e- even just like that play where. Brady threw the game ending interception and oh here's D Ford offsides and like they even got I mean I don't know where you stand on the, the Edelman punt return like the, even that was kind of lucky too it's just they get all the breaks and to see it happen again to like this team was super duper fun to watch with the coach that has been able to change his offense through the years and you know you got a first year quarterback who's going to be the MVP with 50 touchdowns and uh it just it, it was just kind of crappy to, to see them lose that game but uh you know as always the Patriots are back in the Super Bowl and I don't I, I mean I don't I don't know how excited you are for the Super Bowl matchup it was probably the one I least wanted to watch just from like a pure football perspective because I just don't know how much I trust Jared Goff going up against Bill Belichick but but uh yeah it was, it was just crappy to see such a fun team uh like the Chiefs have their season broken in such a crappy way yeah, it was. As a um, as a Browns fan, I very much relate to um, that D Ford play where something huge happens for your team. You don't notice the flag right away, so you're like, yeah, you know, like going crazy. This has happened to the Browns in my lifetime thousands of times. And then you see the flag sitting on the field, and you're like, oh, this is 100% against the Browns, and this play is going to come back and not matter. And so that, uh, that hurt me very specifically. It brought back some bad memories. And then also... Andy Reid's face sort of after um, the touchdown uh, in overtime 
by Rex Burkhead of all people, uh, just you know turning away and kind of looking down on the sideline. Like I really felt horrible for him. And in that moment, I can only imagine a guy that's gotten close so many times, and just another one that felt like it had ended once already, kind of slipped through your grasp. I legitimately felt awful for for Andy Reid. Hopefully they'll be back. They have a you know that team is incredibly talented, and if they shore up some things defensively, that team's going to be. Uh, a problem but I just you know you get so close so many times and you just can't yeah. get over that hump it's tough yeah it, that's that's the worst aspect of it it's not like you know the game ends and the next season you pick up back at the AFC championship game like you have to start all the way over yes like from free agency to the draft and now you have to claw your way back through there I mean look I mean just ask the Falcons like it's hard and like even even the year after that 28-3 disaster where the Patriots got lucky again. I mean, that Edelman catch is still just burning to my brain. <laughs> uh, you know, they come back and they get to the uh, the divisional round against the, the Eagles. They lose uh, last play of the game again. Like, it's 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 to get back there. I mean, hopefully the Chiefs can get back there. They have, you know, obviously a trump card of having that ridiculous offense, but it, it's just, it's a killer. It definitely is a killer. Um you know, Charles, so, you know, when we had we uh, previously recorded an audio that's been lost to the, the digital histories, but last week it was right after um, Freddie Kitchens was introduced as the, the Browns head coach, and you had tweeted out that you were, um, you were becoming an honorary Browns fan. So I just want to know now, after about a week, week and a half, um, how is your Browns fandom going? How does it feel? Are you regretting it yet, even though nothing has really happened? Where are you sort of a week into being uh, a super Browns fan? You know, I, I'm still on board. Like, this still looks like one of the teams that has potential to be amazingly fun uh, during the regular season. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if I can get on board all the way and be like, you know, this is a bona fide contender because I think they still got a little bit, a little bit of ways to go before, you know, it, it's from the proclaimed that. But uh, like, this is a team that could, that could easily be in the wild card next season, maybe even win the AFC North and. Just to see that the growth that they've taken since, you know, going 1-31 in uh, Jackson now, this looks like a team that's finally ready to take a legitimate step forward. Like, it, it's it's just fun. And, and we talked last week before it got lost just about, like, the identity of, of Freddie Kitchens and just how when you think of NFL coaches and, you have, like, their mannerisms and what they sound like and their diction, like, <laughs> Freddie Kitchens is not really the guy – that you think of even even that video that the Browns uploaded where he was being uh, introduced and they had that little blooper right before and they had to bleep him out like even stuff like that is just it, it just kind of brings some character and some life into the team and then you see the videos of, of him and Baker kind of joking around the sideline and just kind of makes you feel good like you know even if you know the Browns don't go on like a Super Bowl run or anything it's going to be a fun team to watch for the first time in a it's going to be a competent football team to watch, a team that has a vision, a team that has a direction. So, you know, I, I'm still pretty excited because, I mean, it, I'm I'm only 24, so this is the first time that the Browns have had, like, a real football team in my lifetime. It's still a long time to be, like, 
nothing really, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's funny because, yeah, there are now going to be, like I joke, a buddy of mine just had his first kid and uh, like, you know, it's only a few months old. And I was like, your child, uh, clearly uh, paying attention and watching and taking in all these Browns games, like is only going to know the Browns like having a decent quarterback and like winning seven games. Like it took, the Browns didn't win seven games since I started paying attention to them for like five straight years after like 1999. <laughs> so I was like, your child is spoiled. This is unfair. And he needs to go through misery before he can get to this point. Um, one of my favorite things about Freddie Kitchens, you mentioned how like he doesn't really come off as like the prototypical like head coach, like sort of like innovative offensive guy. And it's funny because you know Adam Gase had that quote after his uh, inf- now infamous presser where his eyes were going, you know, rolling into the back of his skull and things were going on that nobody fully understands. Where he was like, I don't. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't have Instagram. I don't have Twitter. I don't read the newspaper. I don't do any of this. And it was kind of like one of those, like, where you just kind of like groan after you hear a coach say that because it's the most coach thing in the world. And like Freddie is very much that guy. Like he's like, I, he said in press conferences, like, I don't know what Instagram is. I don't know what Twitter is. All this stuff. So he's like right at that line. But then he's also like this very innovative and like funny and like progressive head coach. And it's just very like this mix of very weird like old school values, but also a guy that when it comes to offense and when it comes to like managing a team, it feels like he's very new school in that area. And it's this really funny mix of those two things. Yeah, I, I mean, and even you just watch the way that the Browns play offense from – the time that Hugh Jackson was Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley were at the top, and then from the time when Kitchens took over, it, it was just like they they probably didn't change the verbiage that much, just because it's hard to just completely go in with a new system like halfway through the season. But they at least called the plays that they had that fit their personnel a little bit more. Like when you get the RPOs, you know, they used Nick Chubb and got him involved as a receiver, or even just uh, getting Nick Chubb involved in the game, not using Carlos Hyde. Uh, you know, it's it, it just like they at least recognize what their players are good at. I think that that's something lacking in like across the league and not only understanding what your players are good at, but also tweaking what you do and what you're comfortable with to kind of fit the players on the field. Because ultimately, you know, the coach only has so much control once that play is called. You know, it's not like they're on the field going through the motions. Once that play called, it's on to the players. So you might as well call plays that fit what they do well. And I think that's one thing that Kitchens did really well and something that Jackson and Haley did horribly that ultimately led to their fire. For sure. Um, you know, Charles, and we, you know, the Senior Bowl is happening this upcoming week. And then obviously it's going to be full on draft season once the Super Bowl comes to an end. I'm curious from your perspective in terms of, especially offensively, when you look at the Browns, like what is something, I think obviously a wide receiver stands out, um, you know, maybe an, another kind of playmaking kind of running back out of the backfield. I don't, you know, Duke Johnson is, is somebody that's kind of been in and out in terms of use of the offense. But where, where do you see offensively for the Browns, whether it's the draft, whether it's free agency, something that you would love to kind of see them add that might take that offense to, to another level? You know, I, 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 I think that it, I know that Baker played well with like this, not because obviously Jarvis Landry is a big name, but if you could just add one more guy, like another burner that that can come play on offense with these, I think that that could really unlock it to the next level. And like looking at receiver sets or just four receivers plus Duke Johnson, and you're thinking about 
all right, we got Jarvis Landry under contract for the next couple of years. Rashard Higgins had a breakout season. Uh, Antonio Callaway, I don't, I mean, I don't know how you feel about him. I, I think he's he's solid. Probably not someone you want to consistently rely on, but as like a wide receiver four, like you're in great shape. So if you can just add one more guy, whether it comes in the free agency or the draft, uh, I think that could really take that that offense to the next level. And you know, not bring back to the Falcons, but it kind of reminds me of like that 2015 season, that first season under Kyle Shanahan, uh, where they had, it was like Julio and like the ghost of Roddy. And it, that's pretty much what they were working with on offense. And you come in and obviously Julio is a great receiver, like a future Hall of Fame player. And you come in and you add a moment to new. And the next season, you or the two seasons later, you add someone like Billy. And when we talk about, the the passing game being something that's so important, you know, and you look at the rules and how they dictate how teams perform through the air. It, I I just think that now receivers have a little bit higher value than they used to, maybe because because it's just so much easier to pass the ball and the rules are just dictated towards passing offense being explosive. You might as well just like every once in, every once in a while just invest a premium resource into receiver. And they did with Jarvis Landry. And now there's a chance to do it again, whether it's free agency or the draft. And you just kind of want to keep that passing game strong. And, you know, I, I just think we're going to keep seeing the value of receivers going up as teams get more and more comfortable just playing out 40 to 50 times a game. All right, let's take a quick break to talk about some of our sponsors. Like the rest of us, you probably made a New Year's resolution. If you're planning to eat better, exercise more, be more patient, kinder, or whatever it is, it all starts with a good night's rest. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and enter my promo code COZY, and you'll get two premium MyPillows and two Go Anywhere pillows. It's amazing what a difference a great pillow makes. If you go to MyPillow.com right now and click on their four-pack, shipping is absolutely free. That's right, no shipping cost, Zippo, Zilch, Nada, and don't forget about their 60-day money-back guarantee. There's nothing better than the gift of a restorative sleep. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the four-pack special, and use my code COZY to get two premium MyPillows and two go-anywhere pillows. You can go to MyPillow.com or you can call 1-800-966-1472. And remember, my promo code can be used for any offer on MyPillow.com. Again, that's promo code COZY. Also, you've heard plenty of stories about drug cartels. They're all over the news. But the crime ring you've probably never heard of is one of the most dangerous in the world. They are the Mennonite mob. Yeah, you heard right, Mennonites. 99% of them are kind, God-fearing people, but there's one group that has smuggled millions of dollars of narcotics from Mexico to Canada. Wednesdays, starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, WGN America presents the new TV series, Pure, that is based on the true events of the Mennonite mob. The show is about Noah Funk, the newly elected Mennonite pastor who is determined to rid his community of the drug cartel, but he finds himself way in over his head, and the good pastor, along with his wife, will do some very bad things, all in the name of protecting their family. Think of Pure as Breaking Bad meets Witness meets Narcos. So get Hooked on Pure Wednesday starting January 23rd at 10, 9 central, only on WGN America. WGN America is available on DirecTV channel 307, Dish channel 239, or check your local listings for the channel in your area. All right, let's get back to the conversation with Charles McDonald. 
Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned Antonio Callaway, who I actually am pretty high on. And I think, um, you know, another of the many mistakes that Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley made during the season, one of them was playing a guy that clear, like hadn't played football in a season and a half, was clearly incredibly raw, uh, playing him almost every single offensive snap. They played Antonio Callaway early in that season so much before about six, seven games in, Hugh Jackson realized that he wasn't ready for that type of workload and needed more time. Um, and I think the way Freddie Kitchen sort of used him um, is another kind of feather in Freddie Kitchen's hat where he was able to use Callaway not on every snap and have him run a select amount of routes that he felt comfortable with. And I do think as Antonio Callaway has another offseason under his belt, learns more about the game, um, he's going to be, he will be a big part of this offense. I think, I know that the Browns were very high on him within the organization early on, um, and I think they still are. But I think you're right. And like, not specifically this guy, but a guy in the mold of a Marquise Brown from uh, from Oklahoma, Hollywood Brown, as, as he may be better known, is somebody that I think would do wonders for the Browns offense. A guy that's a burner, but also you know can run a full route tree and is not just going to be a guy sort of like Antonio Callaway that um, you know you you have him go deep more times than not instead of running sort of this complicated route. So I would love somebody in the mold of Marquise Brown. I think would be would be fantastic for this Browns team. Yeah, and. Even like and one one thing that I looked at in just from you know, just watching different teams play over the years, like adding competition is never a good is never a bad thing. Like right. let's let's say like you're a Browns fan and you feel good about the the trio of, of Higgins, Landry and Antonio Callaway. But I mean, it doesn't mean you can't add somebody else either. Maybe just someone who's better or someone to at least push those in in, in keeping them. Uh, just on top of their game as much as you want. So, uh, you, you know, maybe not the first round, maybe the second round or the third round, but I think just embodying and keeping that position fresh is, is always a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Charles, too, the last time we sort of spoke, um, you know, we touched on Todd Munkin, and I think a lot. There's been some some really good writings on there, and we obviously talked about sort of the marriage between him and Freddie Kitchens. But you had said something, and I think the lesser-known coordinator that the Browns hired with Steve Wilkes, who's, you know, obviously had a really, really tough year in Arizona as he transitioned from a defensive coordinator in Carolina to a full-on head coach. Uh, maybe didn't have the personnel in Arizona that um, that fit his sort of his scheme. He had to change some things there, and it didn't go super well. But you had said something really, really interesting that I wanted to kind of bring up again because one of the criticisms about Steve Wilkes in Arizona that I had read was that, you know, sometimes he got really quote-unquote stubborn with um, his personnel and he was playing a lot of nickel and teams were sort of gashing them with the run and he didn't really change anything um, even though teams kind of were were running right at them and he's still playing kind of five dbs on the field but you had made the point about how with the way that the nfl is going especially kind of passing offense wise that that might actually be something that will end up being a good thing in terms of him playing more dbs i, w- I was wondering if you could kind of you know touch on that again because i thought it was a really interesting point just about steve wilkes and his sort of philosophy as a as a defensive uh, coordinator yeah i mean the thing with, with wilkes is I, I i don't think he's a guy like you know a belichick or wade phillips where you can just kind of put just about anybody on the field and you're going to have a respectable defense but I, I don't think he'll make the active talent you have first like putting them out of position then the thing with with the nickel stuff yeah like you gash one game samples in terms of you know you could have one game like 
where the Cardinals played, you know, either the, either the Falcons or the Rams late in the season last year. And yeah, you can get gashed in, in those games. But over a full 16-game sample, it, it just makes more sense to lean towards pass defense over run defense. And if you can get creative and find ways to get another guy in the box when you play nickel sets by either playing just a lot of single high coverages or blitzing, what have you, then there are ways you can negate you know, giving up these plays on the ground uh, uh, when you're in nickel. But still, if you want to be a team that's always leaning towards pass defense, that's always leaning towards stopping the pass first, just as many defensive backs as you can on the field is a way to start. I do think that the Browns have a more complete set. I mean, just even going into before you even add guys in free agency of the draft, I think the Browns have a more complete front seven than the than uh, Arizona did. Like you're going to take uh, Miles, like the the pairing of Larry Kanjobi and Daniel Agba over Chandler Jones, Robert Kandichi, and Marcus Golden. Like as great as Chandler Jones is, he'd rather have that full trio that the Browns have. So I think that that's going to be an upgrade in talent for him. Joe Schobert would easily be the best linebacker uh, on the Cardinals. So, you know, in some ways, I think that Wilkes did it like a, a, until, you know, until they quit on him towards the end of the season. Cause, cause you know, like it, once you get to three and 10, three and like, three and 11, like what are we, what are we really playing for here? Yeah. So, like, like you're yeah. <laughs> running bodies into other people when you're three and thir- three and 12 is like, yeah, I'm, I'm good today. I don't need to yeah. do this today. Yeah, even like those week seventeen games between teams at the top of the draft, they're like preseason games for the most part. So you know, I I think what what Wilkes did with the personnel that he had, especially in the front seven, I I thought it was, you know, not a bad job by any stretch. And now he now he just gets to have better players, and he doesn't have the full like the full palette of responsibilities that a head coach does. So I, I like the hire. I think he's going to be fine. I don't think Wilkes has ever really even had a bad defense, even, even when he was in Carolina, like he was, a, he was uh, on the team for that 2015 defense, which was stellar in terms of past defense. Uh, then he coordinated his own before going uh, off to Arizona. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's a, it's a good hire for the Browns and he's going to do great with the selection of talent that they have. And, you know, with the free agents in the draft, they have a chance to add more, especially if they want to add another defensive tackle that could really take that defensive line to the next level. Yeah, I mean, on paper, it, it does seem like Freddie has kind of put a pretty impressive staff around him. They've gone everywhere. I think they took a guy from Tennessee. They took a guy, the guy that recruited uh, Tua from Alabama. They took him. Um, they've, they've just gone a lot of different places and seem to be getting a lot of minds, both from, you know, they took Green Bay's um, offensive line coach who had been I think the longest tenured employee uh in Green Bay uh under McCarthy and they took him and so there it seems like they have a really nice mix of um some veteran guys some guys like like Steve Wilkes who I don't you know he's been in the league a while but just sort of got his feet wet as a head coach and now he's going to come back as a defensive coordinator and so um at least on paper it does seem that like Freddie Kitchens and I do believe that when you are a first-time head coach and you are somebody that is going to have just more responsibility on your plate. I do think it it can be an important thing to have people around you who are, one, not going to try to usurp your power like what Todd Haley was trying to do to Hugh Jackson, just guys that are going to be around you and 
um, kind of help you sort of just transition, especially in that first year. Um, and I always think about kind of like just Wade Phillips as the defensive coordinator with Sean McVay, a guy who was just going to do his thing with the defense and Sean could kind of worry about it, the offense, especially that first season. So it does appear that like at least on paper that there is a strong sort of foundation around Freddie um, in terms of the guys that the Browns have hired. Yeah, Monken Monken's a fun name too. Just yes, e- even without watching Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if you just read quotes about pretty much giving the middle finger to all these five yard teams are running, that's I mean that's just a fun way to to look at football. And I think it pairs well with Baker because even Baker had for 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 when he was starting, he had one of like the highest average depth of the chart targets in the league. So now you get Kitchens who's who we saw is not afraid to attack the intermediate and deep portions of the field. And you get this guy, uh, you get this guy, Todd Monken, who, I mean, just on yards per attempt basis, I mean, without factoring in the interception and stuff like that, just strictly yards per attempt, like Ryan Fitzpatrick's 9.6 yards per attempt this season was one of the best in NFL history. So, uh, like, you're, they're going to be big plays. They're going to be an attacking offense. And it, it doesn't feel like that's just fluff, like where you see teams, come out in their press conferences after coaching hire. Yeah, we're going to be multiple. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to do blah, 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 blah. Like, you have the results on the field to kind of back this up and say, okay, you know, here are two of the more aggressive play callers in the NFL combining forces. And even if Mocking isn't going to be the guy, you know his influence is going to be all over the offense. Yeah, and it's nice for – this feels like the first time in a very long time that the Browns are – I mean, having the quarterback in place is huge, and this is the first time that they've really had that. But then sort of designing this offense around his strengths, like you said, like Baker's um, – I think he also had the second longest throw – um, in terms of air yards this season, he hit Brashard Perryman on a 63-yard pass against the Panthers, and I think that was only second to to Josh Allen um, in terms of longest kind of air yards throw this season. So, like, Baker not only enjoys going downfield and has a pretty high percentage in terms of completions when he is going down the field, but he's got the arm to do it. And then you sort of look at what they're doing when they bring in a Todd Munkin who has some roots in the air raid and obviously, um, you know, Baker Mayfield playing under Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma um, – kind of got to run an offense with some air raid routes from from Lincoln Riley as well. So it's it's nice to see the Browns sort of surrounding Baker and playing to strengths of what he's comfortable with and what he's played in um, and bringing in a Todd Munkin and kind of meshing him with Freddie Kitchens, I think is a really big step in terms of designing an offense around what their quarterback does well instead of trying to what it felt like what Todd Haley was doing was sort of like I'm going to call these plays no matter what I don't really care what you're comfortable with or what you're doing um, and it seems like that is going to be a really big change as they as they move forward yeah and it's now we talked about this last week but it's just it's kind of strange to see like a very simple thought process evade a lot of NFL coaches where you know, if you go back and look at stuff that came out after the Eagles beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, uh, like the, that trio of Doug Peterson, Frank Wright, and, and John DeFilippo, they pretty much got Nick, after Wentz went down against the Rams that year, they pretty much asked Nick Foles, like, what are you good at and what are you comfortable running? And they kind of flipped their offense to that. Like, I mean, they became a lot more like deep ball dependent, where Foles kind of liked just throwing it up there and hanging it up there and seeing if his guy. Edit. They use a lot more RPOs when Foles came in. Like it, it's just a very 
concept. I mean, it's something that Belichick does well too, where he has all these guys year after year after year just rotating in and out of the defense, and they they just find little changes to do where you're not going to ask, you know, your your two fifty pound linebacker to cover slot receivers like that. Just never going to be something that happens, or or you know, just simple tweaks to make sure that guys are always position by asking them what they best and uh you know that, that's kind of what it seemed like freddie kitchens was doing it's kind of seemed like what tom mocking was doing in in tampa bay so you know I, i'm excited this seems to be like a very forward thinking uh in staff and it's just kind of cool to see you know or, or not cool to see but it kind of makes you wonder sometimes like you know there are there are probably freddie kitchens out there just kind of sitting on NFL rosters that have good ideas, how to play calling them. You just kind of need to give them a chance to shine. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to learn a lot about them uh, in 2019. Yeah. I think that's a really great point. And I think it is still so confusing and head scratching to me. The NFL still seems just like in terms of still being rigid and, and, and still having this network of, of retreads and guys that they hire. And I think there's the NFL is now starting to sort of branch out of that. Like I think the Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona hire is like a really, even if it doesn't work out, I, I still think it's a, a cool thing that a team was willing to take a chance on somebody like that. And I think the NFL is starting to sort of branch out of its um, comfort zone a little bit, but but of any league <laughs> between like the NBA and Major League Baseball, like the NFL to me still has that issue of being too scared to try a guy like a Freddie Kitchens, a guy like a Cliff Kingsbury, where like five years ago they wouldn't have even their names wouldn't have have even registered with anybody and and I think they're stirring out of that a little bit, but it still is a league that you're right, like there are probably Freddie Kitchens everywhere and they're just not getting looked at or they're not having an opportunity I mean Freddie Kitchens honestly if if they had gone through the whole season with with Hugh and Todd and maybe if Baker starts from day one and they win a couple of those early games maybe we don't even get to see Freddie Kitchens and like it's a it's crazy that those sort of events are what it took to like get him in a position where he could really showcase what he could do and uh yeah I'm just really excited because there's always like in, like in a field to the unknown where like like Freddie Kitchens obviously did a, a tremendous job in the back half of the season but you know o- overall he's still unproven and For sure. you can kind of, you can take that you can take that how you want to take it and and you know even just like the excitement like we don't know what the hell is going to happen next but it feels pretty positive like that that's always a fun place to be uh, as a fan base. Yeah, most definitely. Um, all right, Charles, well, I will get you out of here on this question because I'm, I'm sort of curious from a national perspective how people feel about this in terms of um, Baker Mayfield. And, you know, so Fox, before their Saints-Rams broadcast over the weekend, did this little vignette with uh, Cooper Manning, who secretly the best Manning, and uh, Baker Mayfield. And sort of took another jab at Hugh Jackson when they were, you know, they're in the kitchen baking stuff and they're doing some puns and uh, Baker Mayfield ends up saying, oh, anything is better than Hugh. Oh, I mean you. And I'm just, I'm curious from a national perspective, like 
Do you enjoy Baker Mayfield continuing to roast Hugh Jackson? Do you enjoy Baker Mayfield um, responding to people on Twitter? Like he has like this little black book of things where he's like marked down every negative thing said about him and he'll just come out of the woodwork one random day and like respond to people on Twitter. Are you into it? Are you not into it? Where I'm, I'm very curious on how somebody kind of writing about the NFL nationally feels about uh, Baker Mayfield and sort of uh, taking shots at people as he, as he goes along. Oh, I'm I'm in. I, just, I I think it's hilarious. Just because I think we have a tendency, and I know people who follow me on Twitter get, get like kind of coming from on this, but I think we just take all of this way too seriously sometimes, and it's just fun to take what's supposed to be a game and just put all these like serious rules on how you're supposed to, you know, hold yourself in the media and carry yourself feel like Bob, these dudes are running into each other for money like it's not it's not something that needs where these guys need to be 100 percent on their game all the time in terms of just just being shells of themselves so i think someone who is like baker mayfield and not afraid to just speak his mind and be a little bit boisterous like those personalities make sports more fun and it, it's something that drives you to the like I, i'm not like it's just it's just it's more fun to have someone who is good, knows good, and is willing to call out people for just nasty opinions. Like, I, I, I guess people kind of get tired with the Colin Coward back and forth, but at the end of the day, it's just completely inconsequential. So just to have be a little bit fun and take shots and just make this thing that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things at all, just make it a little bit more fun and turn it into – something that we can all just kind of laugh at is it's great. And I hope that he keeps it and I hope he makes Pro Bowls and Super Bowls and Hall of Fame so that we don't have to just pretend that the stoic way of doing this is the correct way to do it. Yeah, I uh, I tend to I, I tend to agree with you. And I also think <clears throat> like it's especially as a, as Browns fans and people here, you know, through the whole Hugh Jackson era, it was always kind of like, okay, do like the players can't really like this dude, right? Like there was so much evidence of of Hugh just being this very like self-serving sort of fake kind of like had a different personality in front of the media as he did in front of his players and other things. And so like (laughs) Baker continuing on this little taking shots at Hugh thing, it's almost like this sense of comfort knowing that, Oh, okay, no, you guys actually didn't like him. Like he was actually the worst. And it's this sort of like connection that he builds with, especially with the fan base here. And I, I think you're right. Like we always ask for players to, you know, not speaking cliches and like not, you know, not be the most boring people in the world. And then you get somebody who's like, no, I'm going to say, I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to say this and that. And then people always get so up in arms about something like, you're right. Like it doesn't matter. None of this matters. Like he's a good quarterback. He's going to win you games and none of this outside stuff is, is consequential at all. So I'm very much with you. Yeah. I mean, it's not like he's going around committing crimes. (laughs) Right. Like he, I don't like, it's just funny because the way that people talk about it, it's like, or the people who who are against it, the way they talk about it, they they, they talk about it like he's some criminal. I mean, it's just he's like he's making suggestive things, like sexually suggestive poses on the football field. It's just like really, you're mad at that? It, it's gone in two seconds. How is this a talking point? So I, you know, I, I hope he does it. I hope he's great. And I, I obviously the first year was just fantastic. And you know, the Browns have a quarterback. They have a fun quarterback to watch. And it, it sh- I think it's just a really good thing for the league. 
Uh, I agree with you, and I'm very excited to, uh, yeah, I'm ready for, the offseason is going to feel like an eternity, and uh, especially because, like, by the time training camp gets here, I feel like Cleveland is just going to be so, it's going to be a level of excitement unlike, I think, anything we've had here before, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Charles, uh, thank you very much again for for joining me. Again, you can follow Charles on Twitter at 4Verts. You can read his work at SB Nation. Uh, Charles, looking forward to having you along for the ride as an honorary Browns fan once the season actually begins. Browns, Falcons. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> all right, man. Thanks so much. All right. All right.